Over the last four episodes, we've been looking at the reality of the resurrection of Jesus through the eyes of the disciples, the apostles, those who were around, had been with Jesus, who, yes, were very shocked, surprised, overwhelmed that what he had said three times was in fact proven to be true in reality. Well, for our last episode in this slice of the nine parts of the disciples' experience of knowing Jesus, what I want to do is go to the opposite angle. Those who did not want this to be true. Those who in fact had put in motion the death that resulted in this resurrection that we've been talking about for now four weeks. I'm talking about the council, the Sanhedrin, those men, those elders of the people of Israel who had actually decided that he deserved to die and then had gone through all the machinations to make it so. So what I want to do, using little pieces from the Gospels and of course the book of Acts, is paint for you almost a blow-by-blow experience of what it was like for those men to hear the rumors, to hear the things that were being whispered in the street, to hear from eyewitnesses. I want you to see how terribly frightening the reality of a risen man who is God was for them. So we're going to begin on that morning And in fact, we're going to begin with something that they maybe only half perceived. And then I'm just going to slowly walk through these so you can imagine them for yourself. And then we're going to kind of draw it together at the close. So let's begin. On that Sunday, early in the morning, what is the first thing that perhaps tips them off that something extraordinary has begun? Well, perhaps some of the council woke that morning to the sensation of an earthquake whose epicenter seemed to be just outside the city. That's the first thing. Well, in the mid-morning hours, they receive a report directly, personally, from those guards who'd been stationed at the tomb. And here's the report. That a man, bright as lightning, descended from the sky in their viewing, pushed back the stone in front of the tomb with ease and sat atop it. They, in fact, report that this was concurrent with an earthquake, the earthquake that these men had perhaps slightly woken to in the early morning. And all of this, all of what they saw, experienced, felt, was just before they themselves lost consciousness. Furthermore, these guards tell them, when they came to, the body was gone and the tomb and the environs were quiet. That night, the council sends uh, men to come and surveil the group who had been meeting in the upper room where, it's reported, they had had a dinner before going out to the Garden of Gethsemane just a few nights before. Will those surveilling the group standing outside in the street, report the arrival of two travelers, totally out of breath, running in from the direction of the countryside. And only moments after those two run up the outside flight of stairs into the locked room, there is an audible eruption of first fear, then shouts of joy. One week later, 
one of the original 12, this one called Thomas or Didymus, he was seen returning to that same upper room, which by the way, they still had under surveillance. And within minutes, just like the week before, there was a similar outburst of shouting and then joyous voices from within that room. Well, after that night, for approximately one month, there is a month filled with the wildest rumors, speculations, plenty of conflicting reports. Where we're going to check in again with the council is exactly 40 days after that day, two days after the crucifixion of that man, Jesus. On this day, there are reports, eyewitness reports from the edges of the city that people saw a figure ascending into the sky off of the crown of the Mount of Olives. Well, 10 days after that, there's reports of some sort of chaos outside of that same upper room involving those followers of Jesus uh, speaking in differing languages. And then one of them, the one known as Simon called Peter, got up on the balcony, stood up in front of the crowds and said these words, and this is a quote. Jesus of Nazareth was a man proved to you by God himself through the works of power, the miracles and the signs which God showed through him here amongst you, as you very well know. This man who was put into your power by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed up and murdered. And you used for your purpose men without the law. But God would not allow the bitter pains of death to touch him. He raised him to life again. And indeed, there was nothing by which death could hold such a man. Christ was not deserted in death, and his body was never destroyed. Christ is the man Jesus, whom God raised up, a fact of which all of us are eyewitnesses. Those who saw this scene and came and told the council reported that that speaker had the most unbelievable fire in his eyes. This was the very same man whom some of the female attendants in the high priest's palace were still laughing about for his cowardly disavowal of Jesus only the month before. Well, here's what the reports say after that. From that speech, 3,000 went off toward the nearest pool and were baptized into the name of Jesus, who they say is alive. Well, over the next few months, these followers, now again thousands, are meeting in the temple day by day by day, and they talk in the present tense of having experience of the man the council had, had killed. In fact, in the streets, there are rumors of miracles of healing being reported, as well as the almost stranger thing, the sharing out of everyone's property, all of their monies, all of their goods. Well, the months go by. And sometime within approximately the next 18 months of all this, there are 
reports that a particular man who everyone knew by sight, who could not walk, had been healed right there at the temple, healed, quote, in the name of Jesus, right outside the temple. And then upon being pressed, that very same Simon called Peter answered to the crowds this way. This is a quote. It is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, who has done this thing to honor his servant Jesus, the man whom you betrayed and denied in the presence of Pilate, even when he had decided to let him go. But you disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and begged to be granted instead a man who was a murderer. You killed the Prince of Life, but God raised him from the dead, a fact of which we are eyewitnesses. It is the name of this same Jesus. It is faith in that name, which has cured this man whom you see and recognize. Yes, it was faith in Christ, which gave this man perfect health and strength in full view of you all. So, what could the council do? The council sent those to arrest Simon called Peter and his companion, a man named John Barzebedee, and they decided to grab that supposedly healed man. Well, yes, all three were arrested. They were put in a cell overnight. Now we move to the next day. Those three are brought in. And again, this is before those very ones who had condemned the teacher to death. And upon being interrogated, the very same Simon called Peter responded thus, quote, Leaders of the people and elders, if we are being called in question today over the matter of a kindness done to a helpless man and as to how, how he was healed, it is high time that all of you and the whole people of Israel knew that it was done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the one whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And it is by his power that this man at our side stands in your presence perfectly well. The council reconvenes, decides to release them. They leave. Hours later, there is another earthquake. And this time it is seemingly within the city. Well, approximately one year later, one of the leaders of these people, a notable one by the name of Stephen, is arrested. He's put on trial. He stands before the council and gives a rather long and drawn-out defense, pulling all of the threads through of their people's shared history. And at the end, looking up, he claims to see that teacher, Jesus, watching him. For this, the council has him quickly killed. Then from that day, one of the council's trusted lieutenants, a man known as Saul of Tarsus, is sent out into the city, then the district, then farther afield, to round up as many of these heretics as he can. But months later, while that very Saul of Tarsus is apparently on a trip down to Damascus, he himself disappears. The rumors that float back up to Jerusalem are that he personally heard from that teacher, Jesus himself. The council is now at a total loss. Friends, 
the reason that I share with you almost this clinical walkthrough of the ending of a couple of the Gospels as well as the beginning and kind of up through the middle third-ish part of the book of Acts is because I want to remind you yet again how completely shocking is the news of the resurrection. I think we grow pretty comfortable with it. As I often say, we turn it into a historical inevitability when for those men, the 12, as well as the council, this was the most shocking moment in human history and it continued to ripple out in effect. Just a moment ago, I shared with you that moment after they had healed the man at the gate at the temple. And you might remember at the beginning of the chapter uh, Acts 4, there's this amazing moment where the council is staring into the faces of Peter and John. This is Acts 4.13. I want to read it to you. When they saw the complete assurance of Peter and John, who were obviously uneducated and untrained men, they were staggered. And they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The most important quality in our lives following Jesus is and will ever be the experience we have had being with Jesus. As I read those words to you from Acts 4.13, even Luke, the writer of Acts, puts it into a past tense, men who had been with Jesus. If Luke had been standing there writing those words and then had read them back to Peter and John, Peter and John would have disagreed. They would have said, no, Luke, they are recognizing us as men who are with Jesus. So my friends, as we close out our fifth episode, just pondering imaginatively the experience of the resurrection, I want to remind you again, it will be people's experience of a living Savior currently, concurrently living life with you. That is what change will change their perspective on this whole thing that we call Christianity, following Jesus. The world has had very little experience seeing people having concurrent experience with Jesus in real time. They've heard the theology. They've heard the, the, the ways that this is done, both right and both wrong. What they have very little experience is, is seeing it true in a life like yours. So whatever kind of person you are, whether you are highly educated and trained or uneducated and untrained like the originals, my challenge to you this day of your human life is that you would go and be with the risen Jesus. That the outflow of your personality would be his living personality lived out of you. That is what drove fear into the heart of the council. That is what will begin to drive love into those who are around us every day, our coworkers, our friends, those we see in passing. So let's take courage. The one that we know to have died for us is yet alive. And let's go be with him today. Let's delight to live our lives in his presence. Thanks for listening.